day, uh, maybe. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe I don't know. It doesn't matter what the days are anymore, I guess. Uh, uh, but he, he did, he let me know that uh, Waikita's uh, grandmother had passed away and they were leaving uh, to go to the funeral, uh, which was yesterday. And so we, we have been and we will continue to pray for their uh, traveling uh, safety um, uh, as they go through these times. And we'll pray for Alex as uh, not only does he day in and day out uh, seek ways to minister to you all, uh, throughout the week, but he's constantly also uh, pouring into his own family. So we'll pray that God gives him a wisdom to, on how to comfort his wife and her family during uh, this particular time. Um, uh, family is a is a great thing, and 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 life uh, the, because of the fallen world we're in, uh, life is uh, fleeting. Uh, uh, we're here today, the, 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 the psalm writer says, and we're going tomorrow. Um, but the good news of the Christian faith is, uh, even though we know that we meet uh, to part, uh, the good news of the Christian faith is that when we part, we also know that we will meet again. And that's the, that's the, the hope we have towards that. Uh, to my wife and son, she's been doing an amazing job of, uh, of uh, keeping the house uh, insane for those of you all that recall, uh, uh, this is, I've had my second, uh, labrum surgery, uh, on my shoulder. So she's had to do, uh, just about, just about everything that, uh, I can't do, which is not much now. Um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have gotten the surgery. Like I wasn't getting the surgery to get a break, right? Uh, like that's not what it was. Uh, uh my wife was actually, uh, constantly reminding me and pushing me like, you, you should get this fixed again uh she she was uh joked that my shoulder my arm would end up on the floor one day it, it just it was constantly coming out of place and i was uh constantly having to work through that and, and so anyway uh we're, we're we do have a good feeling that this is a successful uh the first one was successful but it's just tore again so anyway um uh i i you know this is just i guess the the traditional african-americans way of uh starting the sermon they they say hello to people and everything, and I do want to say happy birthday. I already said it per- privately, but uh, I like giving people flowers all over the place in the open. And so, happy birthday to Melissa. Uh, so, so she already know how I feel about her, and uh, uh, I'm thankful with you guys. If you if you don't uh, appreciate the sermon, uh, just wait till maybe you get in the, uh, a little past the parking lot to say so. I have a few people, <laughs> have a few people that like me, and uh, and you don't want them to overhear you. Uh, 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 so, so I'll, I'll, I'll mention a couple. Obviously, uh, patients and the musicians have done a phenomenal jobs. Patients, I was thinking after the, uh, uh, the second song, uh, He Reigns, I was thinking I wasn't gonna have to come up here, uh, uh, for a moment. And then, uh, anyway, uh, but patients and Chris, uh, last Thursday, right? Not this past Thursday, but the, the Thursday, uh, before that, they came to Westminster for me. Uh, to help me out with a, uh, I'll call it a historical day of, uh, we were celebrating the black church, uh, in, in our, in our chapel. And, uh, so as I was giving the history behind some of the things of the black church and the songs, uh, she and Chris would sing and lead the, uh, the students in some of the old, uh, Negro spirituals and things like that. So that was a, that was a very, uh, uh, it was an amazing day. It really was. And, and I, I've told them over and over, I owe them a lot for that. Um, 
uh, the judge family are here. They're, they're, they've done a lot for me. Probably my favorite thing is well, Christmas time. They gave me a, uh, me and my wife this 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 bread. Uh, was it a fruit cake? Is that what, what it was? Banana nut bread? Yeah. And anyway, apple. Whatever it was, it was delicious. Is what I called it. So that's why I didn't know what else. Uh, and then Marcel, you obviously know how I feel about you. The Lord's and I named our son after your family. So uh, uh, Shalom, Allah, Shalom, Mahesh Lee. So. Uh, all right, well let's let's get uh let's get focused now. Uh, uh you guys do look beautiful and I, I mean that. I don't I don't joke when I say that. It's uh yes, you guys you it's it's a beautiful thing to see not just a multiracial or multi ethnic church, but a multicultural church. And, and and that that is gonna come obviously with its difficulties, uh, but it also comes with its joys and its beauties. Uh, and that's what we're going to look at today, a church that's going through uh, some, of the, some of the challenges, way more challenges than we are facing uh, in, in, in the church of Rome. So if you will, turn to, to Romans chapter 5, and we'll just simply look at verse, well, we'll, we'll probably look at the whole book, uh, and I'll tell you why, but we'll put our emphasis on verse 1 of chapter 5. Uh, Gardner C. Taylor and uh, James Earl Massey. Uh, two phenomenal preachers, uh, not just in the African-American community, but in the American community. They describe preaching as a burdensome joy, uh, the sweet torture of Sunday morning. And, uh, and so if you all would, if you just wanted an idea of what I am going through now, what Alice go through uh, Sunday after Sunday, Charles Spurgeon would have no choice, the prince of preachers uh, that some have called him, would have no choice but to agree with David. Uh, it was he who uh, every Sunday would vomit and 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 before his son service he, he before his sermon he couldn't he 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 would he would become so weak before every sermon that his deacons would have to carry him to the pulpit and lay him over it and then he would preach and gain his strength uh, and and I I can I can understand a little bit of the physical uh, 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 torture that you go through but not maybe to that extent. Uh, and, and so we're going to look at Romans chapter five, verse one. Uh, it's one of the therefores I'm going to address uh, moment in, in a moment. Uh, therefore, since we have been justified, uh, we have uh, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at that. Uh, and, and, and whatnot. Now we're going to first I want to emphasize uh, that today will be more of a, a teaching uh, sermon. Uh Partial, part, partly because of uh, the nature of the reason I'm here, uh, but because uh, we've also been going through this in my class lately. I, I, Romans is the book I'm most familiar with uh, in the Bible. Uh, every summer at camp, I go with my counselors. We go through the book of Romans throughout the entire sermon uh, su- summer. And so I'm very familiar with uh, the book of Romans. And so... <clears throat> When we think about Romans, most people, theologians, scholars, would say that this is probably the most important book in the Bible. And obviously, I don't want to, I don't want to be one of those people that say, well, this book is more important. All of it's God's inspired words, so it's all equally important, even numbers, right? So and so begat so and so, and so and so had this many people. That's all, it's all inspired, it's all God's word, and so it's all important. Uh, but when you're thinking about the, the con, the content and the impact of, of the books, Romans has to be up there with John and the Revelations uh, being uh, close uh, seconds. 
St. Augustine, uh, the Bishop of Hippo in Africa, was, was, was sitting under a tree or whatever, the story, however the story goes, and he hears some kids running around singing a song, pick up and read, pick up and read, or something like that, and, and read it. And he looked down, there's a scroll nearby, and he reads it, and it's an excerpt that he gets from Romans. And it talks about how one should live from uh, Romans chapter 13, verse 1, and how the Christian life should look. And he said, I didn't have to read anymore. He said, I didn't, I didn't have to read anything else. It was all he needed. And, and, and for those that don't know, St. Augustine became one of the major influences of Christian re- uh, religion. Speaking of St. Augustine, you have an Augustinian monk who is, who is tired of living under the, the, the work law, the law and the works and everything you have to do under the Catholic Church. And he's trying to figure out what, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live? And he reads Romans. He reads Romans. Talking about Martin Luther. And because of him reading Romans, he was influenced and was led to start what we know now as the Reformation, uh, which recently we celebrated the 500th uh, anniversary of. Continuing on then with the Augustinian monk, uh, uh, you have an England pastor who is walking by and he hears someone. He was in the pastor, he was a clergy. He hears someone, he hears someone reading just a preface of Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. Just a preface. And it sparked him to start a movement in England. Uh, we know him as John Wesley. And so you have this Wesleyan movement that, that many people give him the credit for this great reformation that happened in England and the Methodist Church, obviously, of today. And then you also have other people like Karl Barth, and I can go on and on and on, who were greatly influenced by the book of Romans. And so what I want to do is I want to try my best to give you a, a quick breakdown of the book, focus on chapter 5, verse 1, and then give you application. Now, for those that like music, especially like hip-hop, I, I, seem, I, it's, I seem like I always find a way to throw in one of these hip-hop artists, uh, Christian rappers, uh, in one of my sermons. Uh, uh, maybe just to make y'all think I'm so cool. But uh, long ago, uh, the, the group they called themselves the 116 Click did a, a album called The 13 Letters. And what they did was they, they uh, most of these people are either Bible college trained or seminary trained, and they took uh, the word of God and they took commentaries and famous sermons and they found a way to, in three to five minutes, break down these books or these letters from Paul. And so Romans, the name of it is Gospel Music, in case you uh, care, uh, by Shai Lin, it's S-H-A-I, and then you can find Lin, L-I-N-N-E. And what he does is, he not only gives you the thesis, which is chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God that leads to salvation for all that believe to Jew first and also to the Gentile, right? And then he, he takes that as the hook, but then he breaks down each chapter by chapter to explain it to you. So that's the first way, like, if, if I don't do a good job to you in breaking it down, then maybe go uh, look this up and, and, and you also have a nice little tune in your head. But you also have the, the, the breakdown of Romans, and you it's many people that break it down different ways. You have chapters mainly 1 through 3 or 1 through 4, depends on who you're reading, that will say that it's talking about the fallenness of man, the fallenness of humanity. And then you have 5 through 8, and it's like 
a little bit of the, the life of the believer now that, that you have been justified and then you go 9, 10, and 11 and you're looking at, what you're really looking at, I know, I know 9, 10, and 11, most people use that as the argument for God's sovereignty or free will, but what you're really looking at is Paul struggling with a issue, a concern he has, and that concern is God's chosen people, Israel, have rejected his method of salvation. And what does that mean for the gospel? Right. If the people that the gospel was primarily meant to go for have rejected it, what does that mean for the world? What is its implications? And then you'll see an implication in chapter 11 where you're talking about uh, Gentiles are now being included and they're being welcomed because the Jews have been cut off. All right. And then lastly, 12 through 16, some would say just really 12 through 15. You have the practical application of what you have been reading. How do you put it in use with 16 being the final greetings? Uh, I throw 16 in with this final. I throw 16 with the application and practicality, uh, mainly because uh, the way that Paul ends his letter, I think it's a good way for us to, to uh, be influenced on how to interact with one another. So, so that's that. Now, let me give you the most simplest way you can divide Romans. Instead of 1 through 3 and all, let me give you the most simplest way. Chapters 1 through 11 is doctrine. It's theology. Chapters 12 through 16 is application. All right. It's how to put it into practical use. Okay. Now, here what we have in chapter 5, verse 1, is one of the major therefores in the book of Romans. You have you have a few, uh, but here you have one of the three major ones. Chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then you have Romans 8, 1. Uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And then you have the final big therefore. There's a bunch of them in the book, but you have the final big therefore, which is Romans 12, 1. Okay? I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable worship. So those are the main therefores. And what does a therefore do? Well, it, it's a, it's a, it kind of gives this cause and effect feeling, right? That when you read therefore, you shouldn't just keep reading if you don't know what the, the part before it was. And so when we get to chapter 5, verse 1, and you see therefore, it should say, well, I wonder, what should I be looking at? Well, Here's my way of getting off the hook in case I do a bad job of preaching. Just read the whole book. <laughs> and then find like 38 commentaries and sermons. So there, I'm off the hook, all right? So here's what you're looking at. Chapter 5, verse 1, therefore. Chapter, well, let's go back. I, I, I will go back chapter 4, then 3, then 2, then 1. But I want to start with chapter 1 and then work my way up to chapter 5, okay? Chapter 1, where we're we looking at, well, outside of Paul's initial greetings and the way he usually opened his letters, you have really the fallenness and the sins of the Gentiles. In chapter 1, remember, it's a, it's a mixed congregation. Paul wrote this around 57 AD in Corinth, and he's writing to a church that he hasn't interacted with yet. He hasn't seen them yet, and they haven't seen him. They know about him, though. And so he's writing them, he's writing to them theology and the practicality of, of, of life. And so here's, here's what he's saying. In chapter 1, if you're reading, he's listing all these sins. And, and you, you can get the feel that he's talking about Gentiles here. He's talking about the Gentiles, and, and the Jewish people are the smaller, or they're the minority in the church because it's in Rome. Claudius had expelled the, uh, the Jews. Nero is now emperor, so some are coming back, but a lot of them haven't come back yet. And so the majority of the church where they're meeting in the house is Gentiles, okay? And so just think, just think the majority of people is reading. Somebody's reading the letter from Paul, and he's saying things like, 
uh, uh, you're, you're committing adultery and you're lying and you're gossip and, 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 and you have exchanged God's truth for a lie and you're, you're committing idolatry. These are Jewish sins. Very rarely will you see these type of sins being committed by the Jewish people. Okay? And so what I think is going on is the Jewish people are starting like, see, we told you. They're starting to mock them. And Paul talks about how this idolatry that is uh, worshiping the creature over the creator, it manifests itself in the most obvious way, and that is homosexuality. All right. And because, so because they exchange God's truth, he turned them over to their to their unnatural passion desires. OK. And so so you have the Gentiles. They're condemned. All right. In, in my in my college in, in 11th grade class, I use a different word. All right. They're, they're in trouble or right? they're condemned. All right. Chapter two. Well, what is he talking about? He's talking about hypocrisy. All right. He's talking about people that are judging others while they do maybe not the same thing, but the same thing. Right. He's judging, and so these people are judgmental, they're hypocrites, they're, and, and who are they talking about? He's talking about the Jews. So chapters 1, the Gentiles are condemned. Chapter 2, the Jews are condemned. And, and Paul isn't given an exhaustive list. And so in chapter 3, just in case somebody think he missed them. See, I don't know if you ever noticed, but I, we as pastors and preachers, we should try our best to stay away from naming sins that are bad. Because what happens is, you walk away saying, oh, he didn't get me today. All right? <laughs> I didn't have to wear these steel toe boots today. He didn't even step on my toes today. So Paul is a good preacher. He he knows what he's doing here. Chapter one, the Gentile sins, you're condemned. Chapter two, the Jewish sins, you're condemned. And just in case you think I, I didn't mention your sin, chapter three, everybody's condemned. <laughs> chapter three, 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, now we're saying therefore, so we're looking back. Therefore, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, where's this point coming from? Well, it's coming from chapter 4. All right? He's already showed the fallenness of man that your, your, your works are garbage. Chapter 1, Gentiles, you don't have works to, to qualify. Chapter 2, Jews, you don't have a word to qualify. 3, I'm just coming back around just letting you all know one more time. You don't have the works to qualify. And he's going to use two major figures to, to, to emphasize this point. Emphasizing more so Abraham, but also mentioning David. It's not by your works. It's not by your works. So Abraham, what, 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 what about Abraham? Well, he had this, but both of them, they had this roller coaster ride. Abraham had this roller coaster faith ride, right? Well, he had these moments where you're like, wow, what great faith Abraham had. I wish I was like Abraham. And in the next chapter, so you're like, what are you doing? Did, did, you just you just trusted God for this, and now you're scared to 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 go to the land of Egypt, or you're scared to interact with this king because your wife is so pretty, he may kill you to have her, and so you want her to d- tell the, a half a lie and a half a truth about being your sister. What is going on? What is going on? And you you read Abraham's life, and we're gonna get back to him, but David, oh my gosh, I'm glad he mentioned David because if David has a chance. Then I have a chance. And it's not by works. Remember, it's not by works. That's the only reason David had a chance. David is a guy, and I'll just I'll just tell you one scene. Now, let's, not, let's not do his life biography. He gets, he gets a woman pregnant. Now, he knows who her father and her husband is. Her father is, he would, he would be kind of like the leader or the, or the, or the head guy of, of, these, of, the, uh, 
of the uh, the the, the uh, what's the people that, that watch over the president, the Secret Service agency? He, her, her father would be that guy. He's in charge of keeping David safe. All right, so he's there. He's got these people monitoring David. If someone tried to attack David, these people—that's her father. Her husband, he knows, is off to war at the moment. And not only is he just a normal soldier, he is one of the most loyal and faithful soldiers, and one of the best soldiers he has. One of the top soldiers. And what does he do? He forces her to lay with him. Now, he gets her pregnant. He gets another man's woman pregnant, wife pregnant, calls the other man back to lay with his wife. But he refuses to do so because he's supposed to be off the war and he doesn't want to have a good time while his, his friends are still off the war. And so he tries to get him drunk. But a drunken Uriah has more morals than a sober David. Right. And, and, and what, what happens here? David gets mad that. The guy won't sleep with his wife so that he can think that he, so he sends him off to get killed. And, David, and God says, David is a man after my own heart. What? When? Where? Can you imagine? Can you imagine, Larry, I'm sorry, I'm going to use you as an example. Can you imagine Larry, just, he walks around, he just starts punching everybody in the face. Alright? He just begins to just punch everybody in the face. And then Alex, I guess during arraignment or the prison sentence or whatever, Alex says, but Larry, he's my favorite. He's my favorite. And we're like, Alex. Yeah, I know, I know what he did. He's just, he's still my favorite. He's, he's like a guy that's just so awesome to me. That doesn't make sense, does it? David is a man of the God's own heart. Why? It wasn't because of what he did. It was his faith. And so Paul is going to to use Abraham primarily as a way to destroy two of the biggest uh, lies, I guess you could say, that the Jewish people are teaching to the Gentiles. And that is you have to be circumcised to be saved and you have to keep the law completely to be saved. So he uses this. He uses chapter four as this question here. When was it counted to Abraham as righteousness? Was it before or after he was circumcised? It was before. And so therefore, Abraham was righteous and he wasn't circumcised. Right? And then he says this. Or it's at least implied, when did the law come? When did the law come? Law came way after Abraham. And so here you have the father of faith without circumcision. When he, when he was counted righteous and without the law. And so now that's going to be good news to people like you and me and to the Gentile nations that, that, that we don't have to do all these Jewish customs to be considered righteous. Right? I think, I think back to Acts 15 where they had a Jerusalem council meeting. And they decided, no, you don't have to do all these things. The Jewish people, they don't continue on with these rituals, but the Gentiles don't have to. Just abstain from idolatry, just abstain from eating uh, uh, animals with, that with blood still in it, things like that. But no. And then I, I recall Paul in Galatians, when he was, or he was having to combat all these heresies in the church, primarily the Jewish people telling the people in Galatia that, that you need to be circumcised, you need this, 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 this. And Paul said, wait a minute, I remember... 
Acts 15. I remember the Jerusalem Council, and I remember we got ready to do the mission trips to the Gentile world. They only told us one thing to do. Remember the poor. The very thing I was eager to do, he says, in Galatians chapter 1. And so we don't have to get caught up in all these rituals and all these, what I got to do, what I got to do here and there. No. And so chapter 5, verse 1, opens with a therefore. And I told you all, the 8, 1, 12, 1, God really is a therefore God. He really is. God is a therefore. I, I remember the, the, uh, now in Exodus when he gives the Ten Commandments. He says, because of what I've done for you, I set you free from Egypt. I set you free from the hand of Pharaoh. Now, therefore, I want you to obey these Ten Commandments. He doesn't say, Israel, if you keep these Ten Commandments perfectly, I'll get you out of Egypt. Mm -mm. God has come into each one of your lives, those of you that are believers, and he has said, well, he's done this to everyone. He has said, because of what I've done for you, chapter 2, verse 4 of Romans, that, that his riches and his kindness and his goodness and mercy, because of what I've done to you, that ought to lead you to repentance. So because of what I've done for you, therefore, live your life for me. I'm not going to tell you to live your life for me and then I will save you from sin. It won't happen. It won't, it won't ever happen. Chapter 5, verse 1, therefore. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter five. That, that, that's that's good news. Even like even okay, yeah, I won't have to raise sign up. You guys already. Got, I I won't even like even if if even if there was no sermon today and you just began to read Romans and you got to chapter five verse one, you will probably echo what Saint Augustine said. I have nothing else to read. There's no else, there's no need for me to read anything else. This is kind of like a a spoiler thing for you, right? I had a friend. We was uh. We was at a church one day and the pastor stood up and he, and he was preaching. And he said, this is what the whole Bible is about. And my friend said, well, now that he told me, it's no need for me to read it. <laughs> Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, there's two, there's two amazing, awesome, hallelujah, amen, good news in there. We have been justified by faith. After reading chapter 1, 2, and 3, that's good news because we know we fall short, right? If he had said, you will be justified by your works, you got to just throw your arms up and say, well, crud. Right? That's the first good news. Second good news is what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going I'm to look at the first good news portion of that, and then I'm going to try my best to, to hurry for us to wrap it up. You have been justified by faith. Now, I very rarely do this because... People think you're smart, then they ask you questions, and then you got to give them wrong answers. Don't think I'm smart because I'm doing this. This word justified, you can really just Google it and find the answer. It's in the aorist passive tense. Now, th this is what that means for those I don't really care or know. But uh, aorist, it means that it has been done in the past and it is good from now on. Amos, I hope you got that right on your test, right? That's what I'm talking about. All right. I missed that completely. I think I put like Martin Luther King or something. It just completely was off. Eris means it was done and it's, it's, it's good. It's good from, th from then on, right? All right? So that's, that's, that's what the first part is justified. The second part of justified is it's passive. It's not active. That's really the only two options, I, I'm sure. Active is passive, which means you had nothing to do with it. See, if it was active, that means that you did something to be justified. 
But Paul writes it. See, the, the Greek language really is written in a way that no other language is. All right. Which is why it's really hard to learn and study in a class. All right. And so when it says passively, you have been justified. I mean, it's not by your doing. You have been justified, not on your own works, but by faith. This word, uh, it depends on how you're looking at it. If you're looking at it from its Latin uh, origins, it's going to probably give you this definition, the idea of that you're made right or you're made righteous. And that's, that's kind of a bad uh, interpretation. It's more of you are just simply declared right or righteous. You're not righteous. I don't care how. That's why That's why they, they just led us in confession of sins because you guys suck. I mean, we suck. I'm sorry. I put myself. We suck. All right. We're a bunch of losers, as, as uh, Mr. Hammond says at, at uh, Westminster. Right. If you want to keep the kids attention, open your sermon with that. You're all a bunch of sorry losers. Not a not a there wasn't a, nobody went to sleep that that Thursday. Uh, we're bad. And so we're not righteous. We're in this process. I can talk more about the sanctification process later. We're simply declared right. It's kind of like uh, if you've ever seen, uh, if you ever recall certain pardons, people getting pardons, even if they're criminals, they, they get a pardon from someone of higher authority, usually the president, right? That doesn't mean that person is innocent. It just means that they're declared innocent. And that's what it means for us to be justified. It, it is it is God saying, when I look at you, I don't see you. I don't see your works. I see my son and his works. And we're talking about covered by the blood and things like that, right? That he is, and we're not tricking God. It's not like you know He knows. He still knows the intention of your heart. He said, but He says, I'm going to look at what my son has done for you. And I'm not going to look at what you you have done for you, because your standards, your you measure up to the law doesn't work. It doesn't add up. You missed the mark, okay? And so, so that's the first thing I want us to look at when we're talking about the, that. I, when, when I stand before God on Judgment Day, I'm going to say, "Don't look at what I don't look at my righteousness." All right, it's filthy rags. Don't look at look at what Christ has done for me. And how do you get this righteousness? How do you get justified? It's by faith. And here's the beautiful part: even that is not something you do; it is something you receive. You see over and over and over in Paul's letters, especially Romans, that this is a free gift. It's a free gift. Okay. It's not something you did. I was watching. I, I don't know what the documentary was about. It, it, had, it was basketball and, and it was interviewing these, these different uh, uh, athletes like Charles Barkley and Michael Jordan and, 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 and so on. And they was talking about uh, they was talking to Michael Jordan and he had an issue uh, with the NBA, I think this was like towards the end of his career, he was having an issue with the way players were being paid. He said that the players were being paid off of their potential. Not off of what they could do or what they have done. They was getting paid simply off of how good they could be. And Michael was getting paid for what he has shown and what he could do. For the Christian religion, neither one of those is how it works. All right, you don't do something and then God declares you justified or righteous. And it's also the, 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 the fallacy that, that God looks into the future and then he listens to what you're going to do and then he decides I'm going to declare this person. That's not what happens either because that's still based off of your works then. So you're not saved off of your actions or off of your potential. It is a free gift. 
Now, in America, we have a really hard time handling that fact because we want some kind of credit. I did some, something good. I, I want some kind of credit. That's not what happens here. And then the second good news is we have peace with God. Why? I thought God was love. Then we already have peace. The Village Church, the same Bible that says God is love also says he's a judge. Now, I thought, no, I can find you plenty of parts where it says God is full of grace and mercy. That same Bible says that God is angry. We were enemies of God. One pastor said that he got, he, he was preaching a sermon. He was talking about how, how God hates sinners. And he got all these emails and letters saying, well, no, 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 the Bible says God's love, God's love, God's love. He said, you know what? He misquoted. He, he misquoted the Bible. God doesn't hate sinners. It says that God abhors sinners. He said, maybe I should use that word. <laughs> Chapter 1. Verse 26 in Romans says that God's wrath is being poured out and will be poured out on all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Both of those words simply means those that are not in right standing with God. See, we like to view people and say, well, they're not a believer, but they're a really good person. The Bible has a word for that person. It is ungodly. It is wicked. And so we got to understand that we Word, if you if you're not, I know this is not a message people like to hear, but if you're not a believer, you are an enemy of God. He is not your father. First Prince of Bel-Air does a really good job of illustrating that. I don't think they did it on purpose. But you remember Uncle Phil? Right? Uncle Phil in that in that show, he's either one of two things. He's either family or he's a judge. And so when you see Uncle Phil, either you're seeing him as Uncle, father, brother, cousin, or if you're seeing him, it's going to be in the courtroom as a judge. And that's how it is with God. He's either your father or he's going to be judge. And the beautiful thing about it is if he's your father, the judge has already paid the penalty for you. I don't even know why Alice has this now. You guys are on it. Christ became an enemy of God so that those of us that were enemies would become friends. He that knew no sin became sin for you. And you can read on, you can actually just read the rest of chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. It talks about how we've been weak and ungodly and God at the right time dying for us and, and that, and that he died for enemies. You can just read that for, for a little Now, now, what does that all mean? Uh, what, what should I do? All right, Lyle, what should I do with all this information you just gave? Because I, I think the last time I preached here, it was on Ecclesiastes and I think it was also about Hevel. And literally, right after I did the benediction, as I started walking and taking the mic loose, I realized I didn't give application. And so what could have happened was you guys could have left from this hevel, nothing, meaningless, uh, chasing wind with the idea of what? There's nothing matters then, right? 
uh, and Jenica uh, was joking with me because I, I told her I forgot to do this. So she started sending me stuff throughout the week that was hevel, that was useless, that she didn't want to do, such as her chemistry homework and things like that. So she she was saying hevel. She was send a picture of her doing homework and say hevel. Then she was send a picture of a Chick-fil-A sandwich and say not hevel. But anyway, <laughs> today I'm going to give an application. Today I'm going to give an application, okay? Here, here, here's the first application. And I already said it before. I'll say it again. Just read all of Romans. Really, read it. And don't just read it with the TV on and the dogs playing catch with you. Read it. Read Romans. The second thing is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let Paul do the application for you for the rest of this time out. Look at verse 2. Through, uh, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's the second, that's the second application. Rejoice, right? I, I told you all this is really good news that you have been, you have been, uh, justified by faith and you have peace with God. Rejoice. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in that hope. Verse three, it says to rejoice in our sufferings. Wait a minute. I think my Bible has a typo. Uh, rejoice in my sufferings. I think somebody mistyped something. Does, does your Bible say sufferings? Uh, some of you are showing that face like, yeah, it does. What? Do, do you do you ever, especially those of you that have kids, but even growing up, you, you got these toys. Have you ever walked around the floor in the dark and stepped on the toy and rejoiced? Hallelujah for the Lego blocks. No. No. You never got a flat tire and said, thank you, Lord, for giving me this, this suffering. so Because it, it, it produces endurance and perseverance. You ain't never done that. Rejoice in suffering. Remember Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, in the Beatitudes, where, uh, or chapter 12, where it says, Rejoice in your sufferings. Why? Because so they persecuted the prophets before you. What is this suffering showing? It's showing that you're on the right track. Right? It's showing that you're on the right track. You can see the same thing in Acts 5, 41, where they got beaten for preaching the gospel. And when they were released from prison, they were rejoicing because they got to share in the sufferings that Christ had. I think about James chapter 1, 2, when he says to count it all joy when you suffer. First Peter 4, 12 says rejoice in suffering. Not, though, if it's your fault. All right. Then there's no reason to rejoice. Why does the martyrs, when you think of people like Polycarp, when you think of people like Perpetua, when you think about Justin Martyr, why were these people glad to suffer? Because they knew that they were sharing the suffering of Christ. All right. And then I'm almost finished. Chapter six, which is the next chapter after chapter five, obviously, uh, helps us continue with context. You always want to at least read the chapter before and after. He's going to tell us not to fall into what's called antinomialism. All right. That just because you're free from the law, that word nomos, doesn't mean that you just start sinning all over the place. Right? Should we sin more so that grace can abound more? No. I had a good friend that said, well, I don't want God to waste his forgiveness. Well, they was joking, obviously. They was joking. But people can get into that mindset. I want God to be able to use his forgiveness. I want him to use his grace. I want him to show how gracious he is. No, you don't fall into this life of not living under the law or not living by the law. And then lastly, chapters 12 through 16, like I told you earlier. Chapter 1 to 11, Doctrine, Theology, 12 to 16, Application. Here's what you need to know 
from this sermon and for the rest of your life, and anytime you read any of Paul's letters, you are saved by faith alone. But remember, faith never comes alone. Okay? So that's why chapters 12 through 16, that's why application is important. Don't just say, I have faith, and that's it. It ought to show that your tree ought to produce fruit. So rest in Christ's works, but then you go out there and do work, okay? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We ask that you will continue to give us the strength and give us the patience to endure the challenges of